welcome to Culture Watch, a podcast of speaking for him. My name is Andrew Gamison, and I have the privilege each and every week of being your host as we dig into current events and news items from a Christian worldview and hopefully prepare you to have intelligent and challenging conversations at the water cooler, which make yourself and other people think. So I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited that you have listened. I wasn't sure at the outset of this project how many people would listen, but I've been pleasantly surprised by the number of listens that we have received. So I want to say a big thank you about that. We are already nine weeks into the podcast, and so I'm very excited to be able to share that with you and to encourage you to continue to listen. I have just been so blessed to be able to share this with you, and I didn't know what to expect in the beginning, but I'm actually really glad to be able to join you twice a week now with the Culture Watch podcast and then on Wednesdays with the Speaking For Him podcast. So definitely continue to listen. Definitely tell your family and friends about each podcast. Right now you can get them both on the same stream through iTunes and other podcast apps. It may divide at some point, but at this time I'm really content with all of my audio content coming off the singular Speaking For Him podcast stream. So with that out of the way, let's begin our journey through the news of the week for the week of July 31st. We start out this week by talking about the presidential campaign for the 2024 Republican nomination. I know that it's early. I know that it's going to be a long year. Plus, as we prepare for this important presidential election, but the candidates are already beginning to prime the pump. Tonight, Donald Trump will make his first campaign appearance since those new charges. The former president holds a dominant lead in the race for the Republican nomination. CBS's Ed O'Keefe is in Iowa, where 13 candidates are campaigning. Former President Donald Trump leads the Republican presidential field by as much as 30 points in some polls. It's backfired on them. His sustained popularity, despite the legal challenges, is why opponents closest to him avoid directly criticizing his alleged misconduct. In an interview with CBS News Thursday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wouldn't do it. I think voters have to make those decisions at the end of the day. The election's got to be about the future. The more it's about other things, the more Biden's able to hang out in the basement again and end up uh, cruising to a victory. But today, DeSantis said he'd keep disagreeing with Trump on issues like border security and spending. He promised to eliminate the national debt when he ran for president. He added almost $8 trillion to the national debt. Now in third place, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott also avoids attacking Trump. What we all should be very concerned about is the weaponization of the Department of Justice. We should be very careful on how we use immense power against political opponents. The senator is sneaking up in the polls and is now taking on DeSantis over Florida's new black history curriculum standards. The new guidelines say Florida middle schoolers should be taught about the harsh conditions enslaved people endured. 
and about how slaves developed skills which, in some instances, could be applied for their personal benefit. What slavery was was really about separating families, about mutilating humans, and even raping their wives. It was just it was devastating. So I would hope that every person in our country, and certainly running for president, would appreciate that. Tonight here in Des Moines, Trump's on stage, but so are 12 of his fellow opponents. They'll be addressing Republicans and in some cases crossing paths for the first time so far, with about 170 days to go until the first of the nation, Iowa caucus. So according to that piece, there are 13 people running for president. Last year, when it came to the Michigan primary, I believe, there were 16 choices. As I have said at this microphone many times, Donald Trump was my 14th choice. One of the reasons Donald Trump was successful at receiving the Republican nomination and then later the presidency was because there were so many people running. Donald Trump, I believe, averaged about 30% of the vote every primary, but that was all he needed to secure the nomination because so many people were running and they split the vote. Now, I'm going to say a couple things here that I think are really important. Number one, I love the presidential primary season because I think it's important to put up not just a candidate to beat the Democrats. If the whole point of this election is to beat the Democrats, we will lose. The whole point of the primary is to select the best candidate possible to take the Republican nomination. Now, I try in a lot of ways to remain nonpartisan, but I think that if you look at the party's platforms and what they stand for, it's very easy to see the side that conservative Christians need to land on. So, I am clearly very interested in the Republican race for the presidential nomination. And as much as I appreciate what Donald Trump did in his four years as president, because without him, for instance, we would not have had the overturn of Roe versus Wade. I do not appreciate his behavior since uh, he left office and the divisive manner in which he campaigns. I think that if you are campaigning for president, you need to focus on what you can bring to the table and not continue to poke fun at other people. And at this time, I would just like to say, for those who are supporting Trump, I wholeheartedly endorse your desire and your ability to do that. But I don't think that you need to discredit other candidates in the race and call them rhinos just because you support Trump. There are a lot of good choices for president on the Republican side right now. But we do need to look at all of the candidates, see where they stand on the important issues, and vote for the one that we believe is the right person for the job. And we need to pray for our country that we make a wise decision for who will lead the most prosperous nation in the free world for the forthcoming four years. It's a very important job 
and we need to make sure that we vote wisely when we get into the booth. And to those who do not believe that voting is an important thing, you probably won't be listening to this podcast, but just in case you are, I want to encourage you that voting actually is important because not every country gets the opportunity to vote for their leaders. So if we have a unique opportunity to, through the power of our vote, take down and put up leadership, we should be willing and actually, I believe, excited to do that. Now, do I believe that there should be some reform in the voting process? Absolutely, I do. I don't think that there's ever a case to be made for someone to hold office for 50 years. I do think that there should be some cognitive requirements that people should pass before they take political office. I don't think you can make a hardline age requirement because everybody is at a different cognitive level at different ages. But I do think that we need to be careful about who we put in charge of the most important aspects of our nation. I think we also need to have a person in office who cares about the people. And I think we all, we need to be realistic about some of the things which we are talking about in that clip. Ron DeSantis criticizes Donald Trump for not eliminating the national debt. I don't think there's anyone Republican or Democrat that truly believes that eliminating the national debt is a reality, at least the way we do government right now, because each side has their own programs that they want to put forward. And all these programs cost money. Should we be more fiscally responsible? Yes. Can we reduce the national debt? I believe we can, but I don't think it's realistic to say that we can eliminate it. And I don't think it's realistic to criticize someone for not eliminating it when they said they would, when we know that's an unrealistic expectation. So I just wanted to put that out there and uh, encourage you to pray for the 2024 election and to make a wise decision when it comes to getting in the ballot box next year. With that being said, we will move on to the next story. And that is an interesting article that recently came out talking about how camping is apparently the latest racist activity. Some people are finding trauma and racism in everything these days, including camping. NBC News facing criticism for a report about how black people need their own safe spaces to enjoy the great outdoors. In the article titled Meet the Black Outdoorsy Groups Reclaiming the Joys of Nature, one outdoor enthusiast saying, quote, there were a lot of black people looking for safe spaces to go camping and just experience the outdoors people would go to campgrounds and there would be Trump flags flying everywhere. Critics slamming the piece for suggesting segregation in nature. Is camping racist, Jesse? Only when Greg goes camping. <laughs> that is true. But think about how racist this would be if it would be the other way around. Yeah. What, what if what if some white guy said, you know what? Went into the city over the weekend, took the family. But all these black people there. I didn't feel safe. 
You know, they had all these Obama T-shirts on. That person would be canceled. You can't say that. You can't say that about anybody, black or white, anything. And I encourage all races to go camping. As everybody knows, I am the resident camper at Fox News. I've spent more time in really? the wilderness than anybody no, at this company. Wow. Yes, I have. No, you have. Yes, I have. And I won't do it. I haven't done it in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm never going camping again. Not because there's other people with different races, because I'm spoiled now. Okay, so what exactly is going on here, Jessica? What do you believe is happening inside these campgrounds? Well, I think that this is one of those clickbait articles. I don't think that this is a real thing You're that's happening. To pretend like it's real for the segment. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I have more to say about it. I mean, the article references that there used to be whites-only signs during Jim Crow, but... Those signs obviously no longer exist. And as a white person, I don't camp, um, but I, I know that the black experience in America is different than the white experience. You just look at how many times a black person is pulled over while they're driving versus a white person is pulled over when they're driving. Especially when but, they're camping. <laughs> well, campers also <laughs> zoom. Um, John, um, so I was, just, when was the last time you were at a campground, Judge? Ugh. <laughs> and did you see that safe spaces may be required? Now, when, I was a, when I was a kid, we went camping once in a while with my uncle. He was really into it. But you know, this sounds like one of those fake grievances. You're going camping. It's a big, it's a big country. Move your camp somewhere else if you don't like the people. Sometimes you don't like people because you don't like their music. You don't like the way they look. You don't like because they drink too much. You know, this is now they may have a flag. You don't like the flag. Well, go somewhere else. Stop it. It's like a bunch of teenage girls. Okay, so this to me was a very interesting story, which, like, I believe the lone uh, liberal-leaning lady in this story said, I would like to believe is simply clickbait. I will say a couple years ago, um, or maybe it was just a year ago, my family and I went to a campground for a few days and spent some time there. And we had a relatively good time and I never saw any flags political or otherwise at the campground. So I'm not sure what the people in this story are talking about. However, it does seem to me that on the left, we are finding an increasing amount of desire to segregate white people from black people, which is so ironic because in the forties and fifties, we did some horrible segregation of black people and people fought for desegregation. Rosa Parks fought for desegregation of the bus service. Martin Luther King Jr. did so many things to peacefully protest the segregation that was going on in his day. They fought to have those whites-only signs removed from public places. And now we're in a place where it is considered proper to segregate the other way around. And I just think that's really sad. I'm reminded of this past spring when I started hearing about all of the different graduation ceremonies they had splitting up people by race, and even having uh, a disabled-only graduation ceremony. And I remember saying, as a college graduate myself, 
if I worked so hard, which I did, I worked very hard to get my degree and then I get to Louisiana where my graduation took place and they tell me the only people in your graduation ceremony are the people who, like yourself, are disabled, I would have been extremely livid because I worked just as hard or harder than some of those other people at the graduation and I have no other expectation than to have a normal graduation where as a normal college graduate, I am rewarded for the work that I did. And someone needs to be willing to point out the lunacy of this continued pattern of segregation. We need to be united. We are these United States of America. And there's one side who always wants to divide us. And we need to fight against that. We need to embrace unity. We need to say everyone is allowed and appreciated in all of our public spaces, whether it be graduation ceremonies, whether it be campgrounds, whether it be restaurants, all of those things need to be reflections of our unity as a human society. And part of unity is being able to disagree in a productive way. You're not going to appreciate everything going on around you. As a matter of fact, sometimes you're going to be downright offended. But one of the things you have the right to do when you're offended is speak out about what you're offended about and be heard. But you also know that the other side has the right to speak out as well. So the way that our society works best is when both sides are able to articulate their opinion and respect each other, even if you disagree. And that's actually a perfect segue to my final story of the day, which is talking about the new Barbie movie that has just recently come out in theater. Isn't Margot Robbie just stunning? She is. She just... Listen, by the way, my podcast, we break down the Barbie movie, why you should, whether you should take your little girls to watch it or not, because there's a lot of adult themes and a lot of... It's it's an interesting breakdown. I do it with my husband and also my daughter um, joins us on that show. So that's a good one to check out. It's something where maybe you just have conversations like you can see it, but then have a conversation so they understand it. Or do you or do you look at say, no, let's just stay away from that? Well, I think that moms should go see it themselves first and then decide. I think that's because I I personally am very upset. I love Barbie. There are like probably a hundred Barbies in my house that passed on through the years that, that all my girls play with. And this movie was made by a bunch of joyless feminists who actually hate Barbie. So that's the problem for, I have with it. That could be a problem. Um, <laughs> could be a problem. But, uh, but anyway, uh, you could check that out on From the Kitchen Table. We break down that and also Jason Aldean on that episode. I was able to listen to From the Kitchen Table with Rachel Compost Duffy and her daughter and husband. I really enjoyed the podcast. That was the very first episode I've listened to, so I don't have much background on them. I just know that I really enjoyed Rachel Duffy's 
commentary about other issues. And so I decided to give the podcast a listen and I really did appreciate it. This conversation to me is multifaceted. And first of all, I didn't think that I was going to cover this because typically when I cover a movie, it's because I think that people should see it and because I've been moved by it and I share it in the hopes that other people will watch the film, support the filmmaker and get the message out. I tend to just steer clear of negative movie reviews. So if a movie doesn't look that great, I don't take the time to review it. But one of the things that has been eye-opening for me is just the sheer number of people who love the movie. Now, I haven't seen the movie. I haven't even watched a full trailer. So you could make the case that I can't speak from experience. But one of my friends, who is becoming a closer friend because we are unified on so many different things, Rebecca Kiesling, she took her daughters to the Barbie movie uh, for her birthday. She got excited about it because they all like Barbie. And she posted a really disturbing review that kind of confirmed some of my worst fears and actually made them worse if that's possible. Now I'm going to read a little bit from the review and then I'm going to reflect with you a little bit. I have a couple points to make about this movie overall in addition to her review. So here we go. Here's what Rebecca Kiesling wrote on Facebook. It says the Barbie movie went over the top. 100% made men look stupid. Even the Alan doll who was trying to help them. And if left unchecked, the men become patriarchal, rude, obnoxious, and subvert women. It got uncomfortable. There's no love represented between a man and a woman. The character from the real world had a husband, but he was depicted as a buffoon. The whole film was 100% women's independence from men. Back in Barbie land, the woman who had become tainted by men all got deprogrammed through a well-reasoned plea about womanhood, which was actually really great. But a reason plea wasn't even tried on the men. No, they had to be tricked by having the women act stupid and helpless, like that's what it takes to please a man or get his attention. The men pounce once the party's over for them. There never ends up being a real reconciliation between the Kens and the Barbies. Kens are all still hopeless, jobless, and are told by the female president that they may get a chance to play more of a role in their society. But then she laughs along with all the other Barbies, side-glancing when a Ken asks if he can serve on the Supreme Court. In today's culture, I think it's clear why, and it's obvious what the message being delivered by the filmmakers is. We have to rule so that they can have abortions. The film repeatedly mocked Midge, the pregnant Barbie. Ew, creepy, who wants to see that? It made the point that she was discontinued because sales weren't good. Well, what about the transgender Barbie, who was one of the stereotypical Barbies in her circle, friends who had plenty of lines in the movie? Has Mattel ever, in fact, tried selling transgender Barbie? I'd love to know how those sales go. Nobody wants to play with Ken in a bikini with Barbie's bust, but they're being 100% woke. 
And the movie ends anticlimactic, not with Barbie going for a job interview, discovering what important things she will do with her life, but going to a gynecologist because she's finally a real woman with a vagina. Well, what is it, woke Hollywood? Does having a vagina make you a real woman? Or can those with a penis be real women too? I highly recommend against going to see Barbie. And again, that was written by my friend Rebecca Kiesling. And we've actually discussed coming on my regular podcast and having a discussion about how we should respond to woke culture so that may be happening in the next week or so. I will make sure to keep you informed when and if that is going to drop. But I thought there were some pretty eye-opening observations in this review. The thing is, folks, I'm a very conservative guy. I have a very conservative personal view about what a woman should do. I believe that the primary role of a woman should be in the home raising children. I believe this is because in Titus 2, 3 through 5, it details that a woman should love her husband and care for her children. Why? So that the word of God be not blasphemed. That is why. And so we cannot argue from a place that this is just a cultural statement because no culture should blaspheme the word of God. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is you don't rise up by bashing other people. If a woman wants to be a doctor or a lawyer in this society, she can certainly do that. Rebecca Kiesling is a lawyer. She does a really good job in that role. But she does not feel the need to bash and emasculate men to make that happen. And so I think that this movie is taking the position of our culture at large that in order to succeed in life, we have to put down men. The reality is that our society is built on the sacrifices of men. Men were drafted to go to war. Men fought for our independence. Men fought in the Civil War. Yes, I know there were some women who fought in disguise, but overwhelmingly it was men. Men were drafted into Vietnam, and many never came back. Men have been protectors and caretakers in society, and women have been called by the blueprint of God to raise children. And we are in a place in our society today where women literally think that it is less than to be just a mom. I don't think anybody should ever say just a mom. That needs to go out of our vocabulary. That is one just that needs to go away because there is no such thing as just a mom. And then the degrading material that had to do with mocking the pregnant Barbie, that is pretty sad as well. But beyond that, I want you to consider something. The Barbie movie is PG-13. It is not G. It is not PG. It is not a Pixar film. 
it is an adult film that is animated. And I believe that the filmmakers knew exactly what they were doing when they made this film. They knew that people would bring their kids to watch this Barbie movie. And I'm sure that they are marketing new toys for this movie as well. So they are treating it in its marketing and its appeal like it's a simple children's movie. But in fact, it is full to the brim with at the very least adult content and at the worst, very woke, vile content that is against the structure of the nuclear family. And everything about our culture today is about destroying the nuclear family. That is just the facts. It's 100% true. And I want you to consider for a moment that this is not the first time they've ever done this. I remember when the Batman movie came out in 1989, directed by Tim Burton. First of all, when I was a kid, and through much of my life, it seemed like every once in a while they would tackle a superhero, but usually we would get one once in a generation. Now, we've had about seven guys play Batman in my lifetime, so we're definitely well beyond that. But that's the way it used to be. This was the first Batman incarnation uh, since Burt Ward and Adam West, uh, with the exception of the afternoon cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Um, so it wasn't like Batman were popping up everywhere. This was our generation's Batman. And I was actually on a trip uh, for athletics when I was a 10-year-old kid in Florida, and we had some extra time, so we actually went and saw Batman. And even as a 10-year-old kid, I knew this wasn't a children's movie, and I was very freaked out by it. Nonetheless, McDonald's, to my recollection, and I did look this up to confirm it, had children's toys that were marketed with the movie. Now, I don't know for sure if it was the first Batman or if it was Batman Returns. Tim Burton directed two of these. I guess the other two had other directors, but they were all kind of in the Tim Burton uh, spooky style. And I will admittedly say I don't like Tim Burton as a director, so that does paint my recollection. But I do know for a fact that it was not an appropriate movie for a 10-year-old boy. And so I firmly believe this about the Barbie movie, even best-case scenario, that it was made with adults in mind, but also marketed unashamedly to children. And I think we need to be careful about what we consume. And as I've said so many times at this microphone when I reviewed a good movie, I always tell you, go and see it, spend your money, buy tickets, because we want to show Hollywood that this is what we want to see. When it comes to movies like Barbie, I give the opposite admonition. Don't go and see this movie. Don't be fooled into thinking that it will be uh, your average everyday Barbie. You know, there are some Barbie properties that I appreciate. 
Um, if you'll remember, Barbie's Christmas Carol made my episodes about the best Christmas Carol movies that I've seen. And for those that want to go into the archives, you can listen to that and hear my re- my review of that along with so many other Christmas carols. So there are some positive Barbie properties, but this movie is not one of them. I remember when I heard that the movie was being made, I knew that it wasn't necessary to make this movie. I knew that it was a cash grab because why else do you make a movie about a popular doll? And apparently it's the first in a long line of movies that are going to be based on toys. I heard that there's going to be potentially a Polly pocket movie and a Rock'em Sock'em robots movie and a hot wheels movie. All these movies are coming down the pipe and we need to be careful because there's going to be appeal for people that played with these toys to watch these movies and assume that because they enjoyed the toys that the movies are going to be good. And we cannot make that assumption anymore. We need to realize that we're living in a culture uh, that calls good evil and evil good. And we need to fight against that. And so that is why I bring up the Barbie movie again. I did not expect to be doing so, uh, but I thought it was important, especially after seeing Rebecca's review to spend a few moments on this. Well, I know that the news can be somewhat discouraging, uh, but I hope that you were encouraged today and that you have some ammo to discuss uh, with your friends and family the different issues of the day and the different topics that we discussed today. If you have any feedback for this show, please do not hesitate to contact me with the contact information that's about to roll. And please uh, let me know if there's any news stories that you would like me to cover in future episodes of culture watch. Again, I'm so thankful that so many of you have listened and I can't believe we are nine weeks in already. With that being said, I will simply say have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.